On today's episode, I am joined by my friend Neil Cohen, who classifies himself as a marketing therapist and a nomad. I met Neil while working together on various business marketing projects, and I can personally say that there is never a dull moment when you interact with him. Neil has more than 40 years of experience creating, building, and managing brands from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Neil is an avid football player and diehard San Francisco Giants fan. I am so excited to share our conversation with you all as we discuss his traveling lifestyle, his PSA on checking your health, and what particular snacks he likes to try wherever he travels. Welcome to Whiskey and Lemon. I am Lana Mercedes. And this is Neil Cohen. Welcome to the show, Neil. Thanks for having me, Lana. I'm so excited to talk to you. We worked together and every time we'd get on a Zoom call, you were in a different place. So I just knew I had to actually get you on the show and just spill everything that's been going on in your life the past. You're coming up on a year, right? We're just a little over a year as nomads. Um, everybody's read about them. Maybe you listener out there have a personal friend who is uh, out there wandering around yeah. digitally. Yeah. I, I hope to be there. I've been living vicariously through you thus far, but I really want to get into like, just <laughs> what even prompted you? Is it like just you and your wife? Yeah. Are you with friends? What even prompted you guys to, to do this? Well, uh, so uh, to give some context, uh, August 1st of uh, 2021, uh, my wife, Lauren and I, uh, decided uh, we gave up the lease on our apartment mm -hmm. and uh, put everything in storage um, and uh, and decided that we were going to hit the road. And uh, so we've been doing that, um, again, a little bit over a year. And we did the United States. We've done Europe. Um, right now, I'm talking to you from Toronto, Canada, which is you know, nice. we've always timed everything around the weather. So in, in Toronto oh. right now, it's, it's in the mid seventies, beautiful blue skies, beautiful days. Okay. Um, so, so we, we, we picked the right place in Canada. So uh, that's why when I said it was hot here, you just kind of gave me that look of like, Oh, can't relate. <laughs> <laughs> can't relate. Absolutely. Can't relate. Yeah. Um, and we were in, we were in Europe before the heat wave, right? You know, we were there in kind of like the, uh, oh. the April, March, April, you know, kind of frame, but so, but you, you asked what, what prompted it. And I think, um, you know, there are so many things, so I'll try to kind of wrap it up a little bit. Um, and, and so this is a good news thing. Um, okay. uh, 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 I was diagnosed with cancer, uh, prostate cancer and, uh, uh during the pandemic. Uh, and so, uh, you mentioned had, this to me, but I didn't, right. I don't think I knew or, or realized that it was during the pandemic. Okay. Right. So it was, uh, you know, uh, in kind of in the August timeframe of 2020, when I got the, uh, when I started going through this process and then, uh, I had surgery in November, uh, beginning of November and very successful and it's a miracle. And that's why I'm saying this is all good news, you know, early detection, mm -hmm. great, um, surgeons, great, like, you know, the Da Vinci robot, all this type of stuff. I mean, right. it's just amazing. You know, my grandfather, who I never met died from prostate cancer. They didn't even know he had it until he died. And, and still, mm -hmm. um, uh, scores of thousands of men die every year unnecessarily because they're just, they won't get checked. So that's my PSA for everybody out there who's listening. If you're a dude, get checked. 
So, uh, so yeah, I'm going to put was, a pin in that because I really want to come back to that a little bit. Yeah. So, so there's that, like this idea of like, okay, you know, and you hear it, it, it it's almost kind of cliche. It's like, what are you waiting for? And it's not like I haven't traveled and Lauren and I haven't traveled together. I've been around to, you know, been to fun places in my life. Right. Um, but um, we had always talked about going to different cities and living there for two or three months and then coming back to San Francisco and so on and so forth. But we had this opportunity with our lease coming up and uh, we said, let's just bite the bullet. Let's plan it and, uh, and make it happen. And so, you know, Lauren, who is wonderful at planning things and we kind of collaborated, but we started in Hawaii. We were there for three weeks then we got in our car and we drove around the country and we've got this wacky thing where we like to get our picture in front of state capitals. And so okay. we're up to, I think, 32 or 33 of them right now. So we, but we kind of routed our way through state capitals, but still lived in cities for let's say a month at a time. So uh, Chicago, New York, DC, Nashville, Fort Lauderdale, we were in like the Austin, uh dallas houston you know for about um mm-hmm. six weeks um san diego la and then back up to san francisco we actually sold our car before we made it all the way back to san francisco we sold it for more than we bought it for um, okay yeah there's yeah, pricing yeah. with crazy cars thing. in general it's just very crazy with COVID. so yeah it's awesome that you're able to do that <laughs> no no totally insane so yeah. so that's what we've done and then uh, and then we uh uh it went to europe so we did um spain we were in valencia we were in madrid we were in porto uh lisbon and algarve and portugal and then we went to the north of france for a bit uh went to omaha beach and uh where uh, monet lived in giverny and uh i remember when you were in valencia because that's yeah. i think when we first met and i thought you were here in like valencia california and then you told yeah, me where right. you, i'm like oh well that no, makes not everything that valencia. That I'm, yeah right <laughs> like, exactly. makes my life sound boring now that's not where it is <laughs> yeah but but great oranges in both places but uh um, <laughs> and, and uh and then uh we came back to the united states for a bit for some family stuff and then we went to iceland and then we came back um, I to to uh, so and, and, and now we're in Toronto. Iceland's amazing. Uh, everybody put it on your list. Don't wait, go before it's not Iceland anymore. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh man. Okay. Right. So, um, so, so that's a little bit of what we've been doing and where we've been going and kind of what prompted it. Yeah. Um, and, uh, but we've both been working full-time from the road. You know, I'm a consultant. And I've always kind of worked remotely anyway with clients. Mm-hmm. And uh, Lauren's team has always been distributed. You know, she's the head of marketing for a, a big digital agency. So she's in marketing as and well. So, okay. Right. And, uh, and, so, uh, and so we were, you know, all able, you know, we were both able to do what we needed to do. And uh, on the road, nobody, nobody missed it because everybody was remote. Right. Okay. Um yeah, I, Iceland, man. I'm just like that's that's somewhere I really want to go. So it was your plan from the very like from the get to go all these places, or was it like, oh, we're gonna go to a few, and then it just kind of kept going? You have to plan it um, a little bit in advance, you know, because yeah, you know, it's like yeah, you know, everybody plans travel. It's all about availability, mm-hmm. um, and uh, like you know, can we find a place? And and and, and plus, there's you know, we had a an idea of what we wanted to like for me, you know, it's about embedding somewhere where, you know, there's a couple of 
coffee shops nearby and you can ride mass transit and, and you know you don't need a car um and things along the, like when we went to new york we left the car in dc and took the train up there for a month and we didn't have a car there you know okay. so things like that yeah. but even in europe all the cities you went to had great mass transit um and occasionally we had to rent a car like when we did the north of france when we, when we drove down to algara but for the most part you know, it's been train uh, or uh, mass transit driven. Um, and right. so, and, and like I said, you want to be in a cool neighborhood where you're close to things um, that you could get to, and then mm. also feel like a local, um, yeah. you know, you know the people, um, like you go into the coffee shop and, you know, after two or three weeks, they know your order. If you're going to the same place, things like that, it's fun. Yeah. So what's your, like, are you typically staying at a place for a certain amount of time? Is it just based on where you're going? Are you, are you and Lauren making great friends in all these places that you're traveling to? Um, well, you know, one of the things is uh, I'm big on my side hustle. Everybody's got a side hustle, right? <laughs> I mentor and advise startups. Uh, you know, I've been around okay. the block a little bit um, mm -hmm. as people have heard from the intro you made earlier. And, uh, and, and, and so one of the things I enjoy doing, you know, being uh, a mentor at some of these accelerators like uh, Parallel 18 and Starburst Arrow and Indie Bio, um, Startup Chile, Startup Mexico. So when I go to other countries or places, I try to go and meet people in these ecosystems, which is really fun and exciting. And then you learn a lot like Valencia, unbelievable what they're doing there with Marina de Impresas. Uh, it's right in the harbor where they, the, the guy who owns uh, uh, Mercadona, uh, which is this big supermarket chain in uh, Spain, he, he set this whole thing up, three brand new buildings. They've got a university tied to the, you know, uh, the University of Valencia that's mm -hmm. on entrepreneurship program. They've got the accelerator. They've got an investment arm there. And, you know, so you go and you meet these people and you mm -hmm. become friends with them and you, you kind of learn about their system. We did the same thing, let's say, in Portugal with Startup Lisbon uh, or Startup Lisboa, uh, right. okay. which is right. Um, and and so you make friends there. And so I try to reach out They're either through my network or things or make friends before I go to these places. In wow. um, some places I have clients because a lot. Of my some of my clients are all over the world or in different cities around the US. Yeah. So you go and visit them. And plus we all have friends and family everywhere. Like when we were in New York, Lauren and I were talking about this the other day. We were exhausted, you know, because we were going out every night. And you know, we you know, when you're in San Francisco, when you're home, you don't do that, right? You know, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. So every night, oh come, let's go to dinner, let's go to a concert, let's go to a ball game, let's go yeah. to like you know, this really fun. You want to maximize cool on your on your trip. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. So, like, you know, I think when we left New York, we were like, thank God, like we can sleep one night without having to go out and do something with everybody. It was that kind of thing. But uh, <laughs> right. So, so it's a little bit, and then sometimes you go somewhere and, you know, maybe you don't know anyone at all, um, but uh, uh, like Iceland, but, you know, yeah, but we really took time off in Iceland. We didn't work at all for the, uh, the two weeks we were there and we really got to enjoy that place. Nice. So, and you're making me think you're saying when you're at home, you don't really go out and you want to go out every night when you're traveling. How do you deal with the jet lag? Because for me, I feel like I'm getting jet lag even when I'm traveling to a place where we're in the same time zone. Like just travel in general is very exhausting yeah. for me. 
Even more so now. I mean, travel is just horrible and people are horrible. Um, uh, just, I, I don't know what happens when people get to airports and on airplanes, how they just lose their self-awareness, oh, yeah. um, what's going on around and that there are other humans and people involved. You know, yeah. that said, you know, you get, there's a rhythm to it. Um, you know, when you're in a time zone, like, you know, for example, in Europe, you know, we, we didn't, fly a whole heck of a lot. And if we did, there were short flights because everything's so close together. In the U.S., when we were in the U.S., we we're driving everywhere. Um, so you're always on your time zone. Um, you know, yeah. I mean, we we drove like, uh, I think it was 13,000 miles or something like that. We calculated, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, it's, it's pretty simple to adjust to different time zones. Sometimes you get thrown off because like in some of the geography, the Eastern time zone and uh, the central time zone are so close, um, yet you're in a different time zone. So like, yeah. you know, so we, I mean, is that, do we have trouble with that? No, you just have, you just adjust the times you meet with people and things along that line. I think that was a okay. thing in Europe. Like when you're in Europe, you know, we were working until, you know, midnight most nights. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is you get a, this whole day, like you wake up early or eight or nine o'clock, you, you know, you can run or go to the gym or go for a nice walk, have a nice breakfast, go see some things, have a plan for the day, get home at two or three 30 or three o'clock. And then you start work. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so and, and I want to jump into a bit. You mentioned like how you just plan up, plan most of it in advance. But before we actually get into that, if you're okay talking about it, I'm just kind of curious, um, like what were your like signs when you found out that you had prostate cancer? And if you can kind of share with the audience, just like what to look out for. Like, I know you're right. saying get tested, but like in those in-between times, what can they kind of look out for? What signs did you have? Yeah, you know, the thing about prostate cancer is it's it can go undetected for many years. And so, you know, again, all you uh, male listeners out there, oh, yeah, actually, you know, um, all you uh, ladies, you know, uh, for your, um, if your significant other is a guy, married or not, Oh, or you, your, your, your parents or, you know, yeah. whoever it might Friends, be, yeah. you know, you know, guys have a reticence to get tested because um, um, uh, there's a blood test, but there's also a very intrusive test that everybody knows about when you go to the doctor um, and guys just tend to avoid it. And, and the thing about prostate cancer is that if it's caught early, it um, is, it's, it's 99% curable, you know, like there's the rare, 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 rare occasion where it can't be dealt with. I didn't and, know the, the percentage was that high. Yeah, okay. Yeah, no, it's, it's, um, and, and so, uh, yeah, I think for when they spotted me and they said like, you know, surgery was like 95% certainty and radiation therapy was 92% certainty right? That, you know, like, you know, like the rate of like, so I'll take those odds. Right. Um, um, and so, um, so if you, but, uh, what you first have to do as a guy is like it, because the symptoms don't tend to appear over time, you have to get a benchmark for something that's called a PSA. And so this really is just a blood measurement of, of uh, an output from your uh, prostate. It doesn't mean you have cancer, but it means that your prostate can be inflamed or infected um, or or something such like that. Mm -hmm. And so every guy has a baseline. 
And you have to know what your baseline is to know if your PSA is going up because a high PSA or a dramatic rise in your PSA is an indication that there's something wrong. It could be cancer. It could be something else. But, but, you know, so now you begin that process of trying to what doctors do with everything. Let's rule out what it is and what rule and rule out what it isn't. And uh, to the point where once it starts getting serious, you know, they'll do an MRI and then they'll do uh, 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 a biopsy and then uh, and then you, you move from there. You know, for me, being a little bit older, and I'm just saying um, older in age, um, you know, I'd like to consider myself like mentally young and, and fit. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, you hear the jokes all the time. Like I used to get up and go to the bathroom during the night, maybe seven or eight times a night. It was getting that bad. So, but that's could be, you know, um, a, a, a bladder issue um, as yeah. well as just an enlarged press, prostate because there's that pressing going on, right? right. And so, uh, but it really got intractable, you know, to, it, it, so it was always not great. And my, I already, I already knew what my benchmark was and I, I was dealing with an accelerated PSA over eight years. Um, and, and I, and, uh, they had been testing for cancer year after year, after year, after year, but finally it came back positive. So they, was the assumption that you had it that entire time or like, it was just like inflamed. And then towards the end, it like actually became cancer. The first biopsy, they didn't find it. Um, mm. uh, the second biopsy, which was like three or four years later, they did something more precise because the technology got better. I had an MRI. Um, my second one, because the first one was inconclusive, but this one showed an area, but what they do is they, they, it was a full on surgery that they did. They said, Oh, we're going to do a surgical biopsy. Oh, sure. Right. You know, like I ended up at the hospital and they wheel me in. It's like, there's 12 people in there. I feel like I'm in like one of those procedurals, you know, medical yeah. procedurals. Like I thought yeah. this was just a biopsy. Um, but, uh, mm. uh, and then I was unconscious before anything happened, like with the anesthesia, but, uh, um, but what they did there is they took the MRI and they, 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 they map it. They, they, they have a, a high def ultrasound and they use the MRI as a map right? Okay. And then, and so they do precision biopsy. Now they biopsy the whole uh, um, prostate, but now they know the exact areas that are suspicious um, uh, because they've basically oh. got a, a perfect map over yeah. it. And then they use the ultrasound to find those spots. So, so that was kind of interesting. And what was even funnier about the whole thing is that the suspicious spots wasn't where the cancer was. It was hiding uh, mm. on, in the wall next to my bladder. Um, and so, okay. uh, and so um, fortunately they found it. Um, and, um, and then you have to make a choice of what kind of a treatment that you want. And there are mm. choices, but as being younger, um, I opted for the surgery because radiation in itself can have its longer term implications. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And then as far as like, so there was no, like, were you having any pain or was it more just like you were saying, like the constant, like going to the discomfort or just like going to the bathroom? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was like okay. those commercials you see on TV for BPL, like, you know, the enlarged, like the guy, like the guy's always getting up to go to the bathroom, mm -hmm. right? you okay. know, like ask your doctor about like, well, you know, it could actually be, you know, yeah. you know, okay. <laughs> so, 
it's a yeah interesting like process I wasn't I'm still like tripping on the fact of the like the survival rate if you go and get it taken care of right away you early know? so yeah yeah that's um that's really good to know and really like encouraging for people like they're you you a lot of people don't want to go and get tested for things because they're afraid of what they're going to find out or like not having a you know a high chances of survival but hearing those odds I feel like should, right. should really encourage people well, and again, you know, there's different scales of cancer. Everybody here is stage one, stage two, stage three, stage yeah. four. You know, mine was initially diagnosed as stage one, but I ended up, I had a stage two, like faster growing cancer. Yeah. And my cancer was near the bladder wall, right? You know, so if that, if, if the cancer would have broken out of the prostate, I would have quickly gone to stage three or stage four. And that's what people don't understand. It's that stage two is still highly, you know, it's not great, right? But it's still a contain, can, can, there's containment. Okay. Yeah. Once you start getting to stage three and stage four cancers, that's why everybody always says, oh my God, stage three, stage four. The reason why is it's broken out of the place where the cancer started and it's starting to spread. And I'm sure it's certain different for different types of organ cancers and things along that line. But mm -hmm. the same principle remains is that, you know, stage one is great early, stage two better, stage three and four, you have a tougher road to hoe because now you're talking about, you know, you might get into the lymph nodes, you might get into the bladder, you might get in, especially where the prostate is, you know, um, you've got the intestines, the colon, the stomach, the bladder, yeah. you've got, you know, a, yeah. a lot of places besides the lymph nodes are getting into the blood. So get checked guys. It's not that bad. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not bad and it's going to be harder or like more worse yeah. if you don't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That debt is harder. And, uh, and, and also the treatments, once you get past stage two, or it gets a lot more complicated. Yeah. The yeah, same I thing, know. look for women with breast cancer, um, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, what's, and, and we all, we all know somebody who's had breast cancer that passed because it was caught too late. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Catching too late. It's like you, you have to find the right doctors. And also there's, I think that's a big reason as to why there's also different types of testing, because I know people that have had breast cancer where it's like, oh, the mammogram didn't catch it. And you have to go through different types of MRIs or things like that, because you just, everyone's body is different. It's not going to get caught in the same way it can for someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And, you know, all the way to self-examinations and, and, mm -hmm. and things along that line. Yeah, I, I will also say this, and I will say this to all your listeners out there, you know, healthcare, everybody's healthcare is a personal thing, but I'm going to tell you this right now. Um, be the squeaky wheel. Um, when I started the process, and again, I've been going through this for a while, but when I started this process this last time around, I drove it. I did not allow for lag time, even with the, you know, you say like, oh my God, it's the pandemic. And it's like, I, I moved the process along. Like when's, you know, like, when's this? Well, we can do this. I, I, no, I want it next week. I'm free here, here, here. Like, do you have, okay, we can squeeze you in. Like I, I forced the issue at every step of the way, like, you know, and tried to condense the time um, to, to um, uh, not only learning about what the diagnosis is, because that's the hardest part, like not knowing, believe, I, I'm gonna tell you right now, not knowing is harder than knowing and getting the treatment. Like once you find out, sure, it's like, oh shit, I got cancer, right? You know, mm -hmm. but, but that never, it's like, okay, I got cancer. What do I need to do next? Now that I know, what do I need to do next? Right. 
right? Yeah. Um, so I so I rushed the process to get to know, like I didn't let there be lag time. Well, we'll get back to you in three weeks and we'll set up the MRI here and we'll do no, like, no, next week, right? So that's the first thing. And second, once I found out what it was, I immediately interviewed the physicians that I would, you know, the, the radiation oncologist, the surgeon, mm. you know, talk with some people that I knew had, had gone through the same circumstances as yeah. me and made my decision and booked the surgery, you know, and, and like I said, it, it, don't wait. And because I look back at it, if I would have waited a month or two or three, my stage two could have become stage three. So, yeah. you know, so you don't, you know, even when the doctor initially told me this is stage one cancer, it was like, you know, I want it out now. Yeah. <laughs> he says, oh, you don't have to be in a hurry. No, I want it out now. Yeah, of course you do. Yeah. <laughs> right. Because wouldn't, wouldn't you agree to like the biggest, and I'm sure like obviously like the treatment and going through the whole process is very like uh, taxing, but wouldn't you agree that the trying to figure out what the issue was is like the scariest part, right? It's because a scare, once you absolutely have the answer, the you know what, like, you know what your options are when you don't know options are infinite because you don't know where to start. Right. Oh yeah. And and then, yeah. And then, and Google is your enemy, right? Because, you know, because, oh, yeah. because, because <laughs> everything's cancer and lethal, right. You know, uh, yeah. but, uh, but I, I, I will again, uh, you know, this is, this is your point, not knowing, is the worst part of it mm -hmm. because you can't do anything if you're not now. And, and, you know, I'm the kind of person who is like, you know, a typical dude, like I need to fix it. <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, in this case, right? it's very beneficial. So <laughs> beneficial, but you know, yeah. still it's like, you know, we never know when to shut up. Like when our, our significant other is talking to us, it's like, <laughs> you know, so now I learned to ask the question, okay, do you want me just to listen now? Or do you want advice? But, uh, but still we want to fix things. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> Oh man, we got we got a few people that are gonna take this and they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna pause and have a little conversation for a minute. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that's that's it's a really good point. I'm thank you for being so vulnerable there, and I think it's 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 really important that people yes get checked and not knowing like like we were saying is like once you get there, you like you it's on you right to then go and do all the steps. Like you're you're your own like health ally in a sense like you need to go get those things done and you're not always going to have the best doctors like I can even attest to that personally like it's you have it's like yeah. it's on you because no one's going to care or like have the um you know the drive to get you better more than yourself that's exactly right and if you if you wait um look you know we've all been to the doctor's office and and uh, I'm not going to say this in the pejorative. We see their staff. We know they're they're under stress. They're you know they're trying to get all these patients through. Everybody who calls has a problem. You know their problem, yeah. right? And it's important to that person. They've got to listen. Meanwhile, they, they but that rinse and repeat like a hundred times a day. Yeah. You know so so the doctor's office <laughs> and the people that are going to facilitate you know, the alacrity that you personally require to have a successful outcome. Um, you know, you know, they're not aligned with your goals. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Necessarily. I mean, certainly they want good outcomes for their patients, but they're looking out for 200 patients, not for the one patient. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. they're getting their they're getting the insurance work done for 200 people, not one person. They're getting, you know, appointments coordinated for 200 people, not just you. Um, you know, uh, and that doesn't account for somebody gets sick in the office or, you know, or an emergency or things along that line that happen, right? Yeah. So you have, you really have to be a, a, a squeaky wheel. Now, it doesn't mean you have to be a shitty squeaky wheel. You know, you get more with honey than you do with vinegar. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but you got to be persistent. Yeah. And, uh, and you can't wait you know, like waiting for results, like we'll call you next Wednesday and you don't get the call on Wednesday. That never happened. Like by, by the middle of that day, I'm calling. Did you get the results in? Yeah, they did come in. Okay, great. What were they? Thank you. Yeah. I am not, (laughs) I'm not that patient that can wait when they say, um, you know, we'll get the results on say Wednesday. And then if you don't hear anything, that means everything's okay. No, I still want to hear you say everything's not okay because I've had a situation where they just didn't call me and I called anyway, and then found out that there were things I had to take care of. So I don't, I want to hear you say everything's okay. Not just assume because you could have just forgot about me. (laughs) It's it's exactly right. You know, either way. So again, you're, you're your own best advocate. So, uh, so that's a story about all of that and, uh, you know, take care of yourselves, everybody. Uh, but, but, you know, getting back to your initial question and how we got to talk about that is it was, uh, thank you for sharing. Oh, sure. No, I share because, you know, it's so easy to take care of these things and it's such a positive story. You know, I call it, um, it's so funny when you tell people at some point for whatever reason, you know, you had cancer, I call it cancer face. They go, Oh my God you know like so so um you know uh, the only thing i would tell everybody else out there is like lose the cancer face and just ask positive questions yeah like uh wow um how are you doing um right like instead Mm -hmm. of making the face you know oh thanks not saying anything and just how are you doing Right. right. you know (laughs) because that's why a lot of people with cancer don't tell people they have cancer they don't want to just be like stared at like there's some kind of like anomaly or something. Yeah. Like, and they don't want to be felt they, sorry for, you know, all you want to do yeah. is it, it, I've had a lot of clients uh, in the, um, in the healthcare space. And one of them was a cancer treatment and uh, I interviewed a lot of cancer patients and I now know it to be true, including my mom who had breast cancer and, uh, and they hate the language of the category that everybody has implied on them. You know, you're mm-hmm. a cancer survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, you're beating cancer. Well, what happens if I don't beat cancer? Does that mean I'm a loser? That I'm yeah. not a warrior? That I suck? That I'm no good? Like, like yeah. what does that mean? And so, you know, you know, and for most people who are dealing with it, and um, uh, you know, they just want tomorrow to be better than today, and then they want the next day to be better than the next day. They want a, a path, you know, like. In other words, it's one day at a time, going up, yeah, right, and, and, and moving positively. That's what you want, no matter whether it's like something mine, which was, you know, sure, I had to go to the bathroom a lot, and I had to obviously recover from my surgery, but that's peanuts compared to what some people with breast cancer or leukemia or uh, lung cancer or other forms of debilitating cancer that have to have chemo and, and surgery and, you know, constant treatment until they come out of it into remission, you know? And for them, it's just like, 
you know, can, did I eat today? That's a victory, right? You know, that's a, that's a little win. And that's all it is. It's feeling better the next day. So all of this other language and people feeling sorry, it's really more about like living in the moment and feeling better the next day and then feeling yeah. better the next day. And so to everybody out, to your listeners out there, if you do know people dealing with cancer, talk to them about that. Like, how can I help you today? Like, how are you feeling today? What can mm -hmm. I do for you? What can I make you feel more comfortable? <laughs> you know, you, what do you want, right? You know, it's yeah. all about in the moment, mm -hmm. not, you know, the gloom and doom and the treatment, you know, it's all, you know, it, that's all it is, is I, I want to get through it so I can get better. Yeah. But, but they're not fighters. They're not, you know, you're not brave. Like I didn't ask for this. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what do you mean? I'm brave. What do you, if I don't go to the doctor, I'm going to die. <laughs> you have to do. Yeah. I had, I had, um, my friend, right? Anna, I think that was probably back in the, maybe episode five it was like very early on to the podcast. Mm -hmm. And she said all the same things you're saying, you know, she's like, I'm still me in here. Like, yeah, right. you no, know, she, she hates hearing like, you know, lost the battle because it's like, are you saying they didn't try hard enough? You know, right. um, she's right. like, I'm not, I had cancer. I'm not cancer. You know, like I am still exactly. my, myself. And so, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where like, even though it's not um, comprehensive because sometimes it's, it takes going through that or like knowing someone that went through it to like know all the things that maybe you shouldn't be saying or doing, but right thinking about how you would feel yourself like me for example if I'm just like um you know I I have some health issues where I don't want people to just constantly be like oh are you you know acting like I'm gonna fall over or something like right. that where it's like no I'm I'm still me I can still do things I can still get things done this is just like something you might right. be like telling your you know significant other or your family as like your support system but I don't need you to act like that's all I am now right yeah, yeah I agree and, you know, it's funny too, at this point, I don't think I've ever emotionally reconciled the whole thing other than saying like, you know, what the hell are we waiting for? Let's just go. Like, you know, you don't know what life's going to deal you. Yeah. Um, uh, I mean, that was, you know, just kind of like, uh, yeah, for sure. But um, I talk to Lauren um, all the time, my wife, you know, about how I don't think I've ever closed the loop personally inside of me of what happened because it was all very perfunctory. It's all like, get the testing, get the surgery, recover from the surgery. All I was concerned about was when I could start running and playing soccer again and go to the gym. That was my biggest concern, you know? And, and, and I never really thought about it in other terms other than get it out, you know? Do you feel like you, cause I don't want to say, you know, some people might say like, that's something you should do. You should be able to like sit with that. But I, I'm not in your shoes. So do you feel like that is something you need to do? Or do you feel like it's worked for you thus far to not have to go there? You know, it's funny, like talking about it now, because it's so like removed, right? It's yeah. this thing that's out there. I think one day, I'll kind of probably should reconcile it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or maybe I have, and I didn't know it, you know, but mm -hmm. um, I don't think I have it to me, it's just was just another thing on the checklist to do at the moment. Yeah. But also people never... reconcile things differently, right? Like yeah. to someone that could look like being alone and sitting in a room crying, or that could be, you know, going to therapy, or maybe it's like traveling, you know, like everybody yeah. can get that out in a different way. So, well, I, I think overcoming, you know, my, uh, when I look at my life emotionally, mm -hmm. um, I think overcoming, you know, like that my first marriage didn't work. Mm -hmm. and you know and, and then reconciling that and 
um, you know, having to, you know, raise, um, you know, our son, like as a divorced parent or, you know, like, out of, like, like that was, I think, tougher to reconcile over time. And, and maybe and, that's because it has to do with your child and not you. Like it's more of like a selfless yeah. kind of. Yeah. But it's also personal. Like, you know, you, you, nobody wants to fail at a relationship, um, you know, at that level. And, uh, and, uh, you know, and, uh, and then, and then how do you reconcile that going forward when you, you know, like, when are you going to get into a relationship again? And what does mm. that mean to you? And what do you want with your life? And so on and so forth. So I thought that yeah. was much more existential when I look back at comparing the things, at least at that moment mm-hmm. versus, you know, if I don't get rid of this, I'll die, which is kind of maybe a little strange, but maybe not, you know? Yeah. It, it also can be, and that goes to your point too, because if you're saying with cancer, you're like, I didn't ask for this, right? It just like came upon me versus like people yeah. will look at say like a failed relationship or a relationship that just didn't work out as like their personal yeah, exactly. failure. And that's something that right. you're putting on yourself. So, right. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. So it probably took longer to reconcile that, um, you know, than how lucky I am. Uh, but I do know how lucky I am. So yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's the truth. Good. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, so that was, I didn't know we were going to talk all about that, but that was fun. And I hope, I hope it helps people. I hope it helps people, especially, you know, again, guys go get tested. Okay. Enough. I hope you are enjoying this conversation with Neil. Stay tuned for part two dropping next week. <laughs>